0: Exodus 8, and the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs, and the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people, and they shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, out of the fields, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and became lice in man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt and the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice but they could not so there were lice upon man and upon beast then the magicians said unto pharaoh this is the finger of god and pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them as the lord had said and the lord said unto moses rise up early in the morning and stand before pharaoh lo he cometh forth to the water and say unto them say unto him thus saith the lord let my people go that they may serve me else if thou wilt not let my people go behold i will send swarms of flies upon thee And upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people, tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and to all the land of Egypt, the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray as we study it, we would think of you as the sovereign God over all the nations, that our thoughts of you would drive from us a reverence, a fear, a love, and a sense of worship and praise. Father, we pray that this, again, word of God would change our hearts, our lives, that we would live differently because we have received your very word In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, brothers and sisters. I handed out a matrix of the ten plagues, and this is presented as Yahweh God in competition with the gods of Egypt. But I would say also that Yahweh God is in competition with the demons, the devils, the satanic forces as well. There is a competition, but not really a competition, because... Obviously, God is sovereign over all of this. Well, you can just take a look at the ten plagues of Egypt and how this effectively is a a form of mockery of these gods that the Egyptians were worshipping. That included the gods related to the Nile River, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the disease on the cattle, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness... And then finally, the death of the firstborn, which involved the deification of Pharaoh, the deification of the state. So, not unlike every other son and daughter of Adam, man always wants to turn something into God that is something besides the God who created all of this. So that's what we see in this this matrix. And I, I think what we need to realize is that God is effectively using the gods of the heathen to destroy them. And so, I do like to refer to the fact that when we turn something into a god, it will beat you to death. The gods of the heathen are idols, but they're also cruel gods. And they immediately turn on the people that worship them. For example, when people worship uh, the god of alcohol, God it's pretty violent. It, it beats the people to death that worship uh, the god of alcohol. And people turn to the god of sex. It usually is very destructive to the people that embrace that god. When people worship the devils or Satan, Satan is a cruel god. He will do the most horrendous things to his devotees. So that's what we see here is that God sees to it that the gods that are worshiped are turned on the people that worship them. So you see that with the, uh, the Nile god, the Osiris, or so the Hopi god, the frog goddess of Egypt. Seb, the earth god of Egypt, the dust in this passage is, is shaken up and turned into lice. So the dust that is worshipped turns the earth god, or the dust that's come from the earth, turns out to be lice and, and bears a very destructive effect upon the people who are worshiping the earth god. The fly god of Egypt is Uskit. We have also uh, the Egyptian gods associated with cows. This is the disease that comes upon the cattle. And then uh, when it comes to boils, this is the uh, attack upon the Egyptian goddess of epidemics. For hail, we have the Egyptian sky goddess, uh, or the Egyptian god of the atmosphere. And then for locusts, uh, the serapia was supposed to be Egyptian protector from locusts. But here we see that that God was incapable of protecting the people uh, from the plague of locusts. And the darkness uh, is obviously a uh, challenge to the God of the sun, the ray ray God. Uh, And then finally, the death of the firstborn comes in the tenth plague, and that is uh, the plague that brings a judgment upon Pharaoh himself. Uh, And and, uh, Egypt, as with many other gods of the nations. Uh, would present their own government as the god to be worshipped. Okay, so there we see Yahweh God is facing off the gods of Egypt and turning these gods upon them. Uh, But now we come to chapter 8 where we find a few other things going on. There are two significant events that occur in this chapter as these plagues are brought upon the nation of Egypt. They They are the frogs, the slice, and the flies. Now, these two significant things that happen or developments that occur in this chapter are this. Number one, Pharaoh's magicians, by the power of the devil, are capable of replicating some of what is happening uh, in terms of these plagues. But in this chapter, Pharaoh's magicians are incapable of replicating what God's man performed by the power of God. So Pharaoh's magicians come to the end of their power. They're only able to accomplish certain things by the power of the devil, and they are incapable of replicating what God's man can perform by the power of God. And this kicks in with the plague of lice. And then the second significant development in this chapter is the Israelites are exempted at the plague of the flies. So they are first affected by the first three Plagues, that is the plague where the water turns into the blood, the frogs and the lice, they're affected by that, but they are no longer affected by uh, these plagues after plague number three. So, plague number four, the Israelites are exempted. So, let's take a look at these uh, significant developments in this chapter as God is preparing his people to leave Egypt and he brings his judgment upon the nation of Egypt in order to redeem his people. The first is this, that uh, the Pharaoh's magicians are incapable of replicating by the devil's power what God's man performs by the power of God. Now, the simple message that I think we derive from this is that the devil's power can only take his people so far. The devil is able to do certain things, and he is powerful. As we sang in the mighty fortress is our God, he is the strongest force on earth. He is stronger than we are. Uh, but the devil's power runs out. It eventually peters out. The devil produces a little bit of blood and a few frogs. I don't know how he did that, but I believe that it was done. I believe somehow it happened. There are reports of the devils able to levitate people off the ground two to three feet. I've heard this in many cultures around the world, in Asia and Africa and South America. Levitation is something that demonic inspired people can do. Um, but the devils cannot do very much. This is not really all that impressive. The devils can enable people to walk across hot coals and that sort of thing. Now, what does this mean? What this means is that the supernatural exists. Uh, that's the bottom line. The supernatural exists. Now, The world has two messages for us, and it plays out again and again. So we hear this all the time. The two messages that we get from the world is this. Number one, the supernatural doesn't exist, and number two, demons are amazing. So those are the two messages we get over and over again. Every culture brings this out to us. Our own culture presents this all the time. The modern world gives us the New Age myth, that is that demons exist, the spiritual world exists, and also that uh, the, uh, the modern age does not allow for supernaturalism. So we have these two messages that play out in parallel. And whether it's the modern world or the pagan world or whatever it is, we keep receiving this sort of message from uh, those that have fallen from God and are deceiving the nations. The supernatural doesn't exist. It's the modern religion. And then devils can cross over from the supernatural to the natural world and they can do a few circus tricks. And because they can do that the encouragement on the part of the world is to worship them. That's a more primitive religion, but that's uh, what we get. Worship the devil on the one hand and worship man as the only thing worth worshiping in the natural world where there is no supernatural. So the, the world flips back and forth from worship the devil or worship the spirits, worship the, the demigods, or worship man. And why do we worship man? Because... We worship man because man is something that we can see. And in a natural world, man is the the most intelligent and the most impressive element of the natural world. So that's why these worldly religions. And that's pretty much it. I don't think there's anything more to it. If you study all the world religions, you're going to run run out uh, or come down to just these two things. Worship the devil and worship man as the only thing worth worshiping in the natural world. People will tend to believe both of these messages, as Americans do today. They tend to be uh, those that are modern naturalists, anti-supernatural materialists, or uh, they're New Age spiritualists. So if you go to a college, you're going to find that people are, on one day, naturalists, on the next day, they're spiritualists, so they'll be both sides. They'll either worship devils, or they'll say the supernatural doesn't exist, and they'll encourage you to worship yourself. Uh, But of course, the supernatural really does exist, and the invisible is real. But for us, brothers and sisters, it's not for us to be in awe of the devil or his circus tricks. We're not to worship the devil. We're not to be impressed by the devil. We're to worship God and fear God. When men and women cease worshiping God and fearing God, guess what happens? They subject themselves to the fear of the devil, and then they find themselves in subservience to the devil. So this is typically the way it works. The thing you fear is the thing you worship and serve. So we begin with a fear. And as we begin to fear, we begin to fear the supernatural, the demonic, uh, we would begin to worship the demonic. And that's how false religions develop, superstitions. Usually the way in which false religions develop and men and women begin to worship the gods, the spirits, or the demonic world. So all fear of the devil, all subservience to the devil, and degradation comes with a refusal to worship and serve the Creator. Now, what do we say about these minor miracles performed by the magicians, the levitation, the, uh, the walking over coals and that sort of thing? Well, it's sort of silly. When it really comes down to it, it's sort of silly. It's impressive to people who perhaps don't believe in the supernatural when the supernatural things occur. They're sort of shocked by it. But what it does is it captivates the slaves of the devil. They fall down and worship the devils because the devil can do circus tricks. But what do we say to this? When we begin to see the demonic realm do something that's kind of impressive, what do we say? We say, well, all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We come back and say, well, a few circus tricks. Whoa, amazing. No, Ultimately, it's God who made the heavens. God made the galaxies. God sent a worldwide flood. God crushes the devil's head and tosses his carcass into hellfire forever. We should worship him and fear him rather than to fear the devil. Now, what's the lesson to take away from this? Well, the first lesson is that the world's magicians and witches only get the power that's been delegated to them from the devil. And the devil has only the power which has been delegated him by Almighty God. So that's the way to look at the powers that the demonic realm holds over the nations, over ungodly people who refuse to fear the true and living God. These magicians and witches, they get some power delegated to them by the devil, but remember, the devil himself receives power from Almighty God. So what power do we have access to? In comparison, and this is the lesson I believe that we get in sort of a, a nugget form uh, here in the story from the, uh, the, the, the magicians who are unable to replicate the, the power that uh, Moses and Aaron are able to hold over the land of Egypt. And the reason is that what we get is the power of God. We don't just get a little power that's been delegated from the devil. We have access to all of the power of Jesus Christ. So listen to this. This is the power that we have. As we go out into the world ourselves, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So this is the power of God. Jesus, our head, Jesus, the shepherd of the church, Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords, has received all power in heaven and in earth. So while the devil has a certain amount of power, and yes, spiritual power, he is unable to to access the power that could overcome the power of Jesus Christ. So, all power is given to Jesus in heaven and in earth. And then he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So as the missionaries have gone around the world and they've confronted uh, these tremendous spiritual powers, and they do, uh, inevitably what they find is the power that is within them is greater than that which is in the world. And there is this overcoming element that we see amongst uh, missionaries that bring the gospel for the first time into some of these regions that have been ruled by the devil for thousands of years. It's one of the most encouraging stories that, uh, that we ha- have access to today, and I've tried to put that into a new book called All the World for Jesus. But Luke 10, 18, also, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So, yes, we have tremendous power and access to all the power we need to trample on the demonic forces in this county where we encounter the forces of darkness or anywhere else in the world. But Jesus said, don't just rejoice in that, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. This is a far more impressive thing to us than anything else. But also, I think I mentioned this already, First John 4.4, 4, here's what John says, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them, that is, those of the world, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that the the powers of the demonic realm are really not that much. Not that much to be concerned with. And we have access to all of the power that has been given to Jesus. Okay, the devil will also exercise his power, and sometimes it's painful, but his power always peters out. We may have to bear through the storms, but the devil is accomplishing God's will, and God's agenda will be accomplished. I think there's some irony here that the devil is joining forces with God and sending the frogs and the blood upon the people. Even in his exercise of power in the story, we see plainly that even the devil, or these magicians, are doing the will of God. seems ironic that the magicians should sick uh, these plagues upon the Egyptians, but they wanted to prove their point. Instead, what's happening, I believe, is that the magicians are doing the will of God and they are using the power of the devil to accomplish it. But what happens here is that the power of God keeps going, whereas the power of the demonic realm has petered out. So we see an end to the power of the devil. He has so much power, but only enough power to go so far. And that's the lesson to Take from this. So yes, we may have to go through times at which the devil will have a little bit more access to persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. But it's still impressive to me that it doesn't really extend that far. That eventually Richard Warmbrand is released from prison and what, 35, 40 years later, they do the movie of his life in the very prison in which he was tortured. That to me is a great irony. <laughs> Shows again, demonstrates that the power of the devil exists. And yes, indeed, I believe Ceausescu was very much influenced by demonic forces. And he brought a very powerful and difficult persecuting force against the peoples of God. But by God's grace, uh, God's people survived. And even now, the Eastern Bloc nations actually turn out to be the nations in which the, uh, the kingdom of Jesus is doing just fine, thank you very much. It seems like that's one area in which... The church of Jesus Christ is being preserved even more so than Western Europe today. So again, an indication that Jesus reigns, he continues to build his church, and he's doing it in Eastern Europe. Very impressive. So the power of the devil peters out, but the power of God keeps going. The power of God is continuous, irresistible, unstoppable, for eight more plagues and the total devastation he brings upon the empire of Egypt. Now let's go on to the second lesson that we get from this passage this morning or this evening, and that is that is, the Israelites are exempted after the plague of lice. And this begins again, with the plague of flies. Now God's people are protected. Now it is true that when judgment comes upon a nation, oftentimes Christians in the church will take a little collateral damage for it. That's inevitable. We will suffer somewhat the effects of the fall, but only so far. And not any further than that. Even as Wormbrand suffered for 15 years, and then he enjoys the glorious bliss of eternity with Jesus. Meanwhile, Ceausescu, the, uh, the, the dictator who brought so much misery, and from what we understand, uh, killed at least 50,000 of his own people, he enjoyed his position of fame, but died an ignominious death. And as far as we know, unrepentant and will burn in hell forever. So now we see this, this lesson that comes all the way back from Polycarp. In his trial, you remember the famous exchange between the proconsul and Polycarp, where the proconsul turns to Polycarp and says, Take the oath, I will let you go. Just revile Christ. What the proconsul said at the trial. But Polycarp answered this, listen. For eighty and six years I have been his servant, servant of Jesus Christ. And he has done me no wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king who saved me? It's interesting, there he acknowledges the kingship of Jesus Christ in the face of empire, emperor worship. So there it was. And of course that wasn't going to satisfy the proconsul. So he proceeded to threaten the elderly man with lions and then fire. In response to these torments, here's what... Polycarp replied, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Kill me in whatever way you want. These were his last words at the trial. So the devil can keep the fire going for an hour, but God can keep the fire going for eternity. That's the difference. Pharaoh's response, it's interesting, even after the witch doctors, the magicians, quaked in their boots, effectively saying to Pharaoh, we're dealing with a higher power now. So they they realized that they were getting, this was getting way beyond what power they had been delegated by the demon world. And so they are fearing this, and they're encouraging the, uh, Pharaoh to maybe a little more humility. Here's what they said. This is the finger of God. That's what they told Pharaoh. But despite that, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. So I believe that the response of Pharaoh has everything to do with his position, with his pretending to be God as a representative of man on earth. Man is turning himself into a god and he's expecting the worship of these people. There's extreme pride going on here. And this, of course, is extremely foolish for he's dealing with God. So in application to the message tonight, what can we say? Well, very briefly, God has a calibrated touch when it comes to the sufferings that his people will go through. God had determined that his people were going to face some of the plagues, the first three plagues. And, but remember that he is still calibrating his touch. He will protect his people in the day of judgment. We're not to fear the possible uh, desolations and difficulties and tribulations that may come upon the people of God. No matter what happens in the future of this nation, I believe we're heading for judgment. I believe this nation is probably not going to be exempted from a terrible judgment to come in the life of, lifetime of our children. I can see it coming. But whatever comes, God will protect his people. He will protect them in the day of final judgment. He will protect them in the day of temporal judgments as he did with his people there during the plagues of Egypt. And then secondly, God is to be feared. God is to be feared. Here are the words of Jesus. Even as Pharaoh would not fear God, and the magicians would be more likely to fear the demonic realm and to receive their power from the demonic realm, we are to fear fear God and believe that He will protect His people. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10:27: Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those that kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered? Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many fa- sparrows. It's interesting here in this passage, Jesus encourages us to fear God, and then he tells us not to fear, but not to fear what? not to fear His judgments, not to fear what could happen if the lice or the flies or anything else uh, comes uh, our way. We are not to fear because we are the sons, we are the children of the Heavenly Father. We are, yes, to fear Him, but we're not to fear anything that could happen to us because His hand of protection is upon us. And that, I believe, is the lesson that we draw tonight from Exodus chapter 8. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You. For this great picture of your power, your sovereignty over all the gods of the heathen, as well as the great influence of the demonic forces around us. And all power, all authority has been given to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can trust that we are well within your hand. No matter what happens to us, we will be protected, Father, by your protective hand. Father, we have great confidence in this tonight. <coughs> we pray for an increase faith and increase in our reverence, our fear of you, our estimation of your power and your sovereignty, that we, we would only increase in our faith and our trust in you for whatever happens in the future. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings, Lord of lords, he is our Savior. And as we say with Polycarp, uh, how can we possibly uh, offend our great King who died for us and saved us from our sins? We pray these things in Jesus' name.